0: Well, good morning, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel, and we're starting a new series today. We, um, we sort of started this tradition of doing a, like, weirdly cerebral series in the fall. Like, they tend to be, like, hard thinking, and we're keeping up with that tradition. Our, our topic for this fall is the meaning of life. And we're going to think hard about this and we're going to live hard about this because this isn't just something that we think about. This is something that we have to live each day and that we have to wrestle with. But I'm excited about it. I think it's an important topic. I think it's an important topic in our day and age and um, I'm excited to get into it. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the fellowship of the believers, God. Thank you for all of the ways that you encourage us That you speak to us through your Spirit. Pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word, that you would encourage us, that you would remind us of what's true, that you would remind us of what's important, and that you would bring those things to our remembrance this week as we struggle. Because we will. You said that in this world we would have trouble, Lord. We believe you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, question for you Do you think of your life as fun? More specifically, do you think of your Christian life as fun? Is it fun following Jesus? Is it exciting? Is it an adventure? I think most of us have been taught implicitly more so than explicitly, right? More so by action and atmosphere than by words. I think most of us have been taught that following Jesus is quite mundane, that it's rather every day, it's unspecial. Two weeks ago, we talked about the call to holiness and how our lives are not meant to be like everyone else's, but that we are to be extra ordinary. But most of us don't feel that way, I suspect. We don't see the Christian life as an adventure, as novel, as fun, as exciting. I think it's because it is Every day. Not every day, like one word, but every day. It's all the time. Following Jesus is an adventure, but it's an adventure that never stops. There are no opening credits or closing credits. There's no gap between episodes. It just keeps going. And that makes it hard to see it with fresh eyes. So I hope that today, and as we work through this series, I hope that you'll try to see our faith with fresh eyes. For much of the world, never mind Christians, life doesn't feel like an adventure. As the saying goes, life sucks and then you die. Dark humor around death and the desire for death uh, um, and for all of this to stop is very, very common among millennials and the following generation, Gen Z. And I want to be clear that this isn't me taking a shot. I'm a millennial. This is what a millennial looks like. We're, we're not as young as you think. I'm pretty young. Don't get me wrong. Yes, I'm not. I'm not old. But <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But the whole thing can feel like all of life, this whole thing can feel like it's for nothing, right? It can feel like the whole thing is rigged. Have you ever looked into the economics of life today compared to what it was 50 years ago? 50 years ago was 1973, not 1953, for the record. I know I still do that. But it can be challenging, challenging to even compare it properly because... Wages have risen along with other prices, but even um, adjusting for inflation, things are significantly more expensive for young people who are starting out today. Adjusting for inflation, did you know that cars are nearly twice as expensive today as they were 50 years ago? Adjusting for inflation, twice as expensive. University tuition is nearly triple. The price of homes is nearly two and a half times after adjusting for inflation, So many people feel like they've had their shoes tied together at the starting line, just as the race has started. And at the other end, a huge portion of our population is moving into retirement. The baby boomer generation, depending on which source you go with, is somewhere between 40 and 60% retired already. And many of the baby boomer generation are reaching retirement age only to find They can't retire yet, either because there's no one to replace them or because the supports that they were expecting are suddenly no longer there. We used to talk about Freedom 55. Does anyone remember hearing that phrase, Freedom 55? We still talk about our seniors' ministry as 55 plus because that's what we used to think of as retirement age. But many people today aren't retiring until 65. 65. And in fact, many aren't retiring even until 70. In many ways, these people have arrived at what should be the end of their journey, or at least the end of the hard part of their journey, right, and found that they've been sold a false bill of goods. And then, those who do retire suddenly find themselves without purpose. We were talking at our last seniors' breakfast about this, about this phenomenon where people retire and just die because they don't seem to have anything else to live for. It's very distressing. So there's people on both ends of life who are feeling despair, feeling like it's all for nothing, that there's no meaning to any of it. And then there's Gen X in the middle, and I don't know if Gen X is about despair at all. Is that, is that like a thing? It's a thing. Beloved comedy troupe Monty Python did a movie 40 years ago called The Meaning of Life, it's not a serious movie. It's just a vehicle for sketch comedy. I, I, mean, I mean, I'm a pastor. I've never seen a movie like that. But the movie concludes by presenting this as the meaning of life. They open an envelope, and the, the narrator reads, Try and be nice to people. Avoid eating fat, which would have been a product of the 70s. Today we would say avoid eating sugar, probably, or gluten. Read a good book every now and then. Get some walking in. Try and live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. Is that it? Well, kind of. Kind of, yeah. The fine men of Monty Python don't seem to exhibit any spiritual leanings, much like most of our society today. And I want to clarify that because statistically there are a great many people in our society who claim to be religious but I wonder how many of them say that they are Christian or whatever for that matter and really have nothing to do with it. Jesus talked about those who would call, Lord, Lord, and he would respond, I never knew you. He also talked about knowing people by their fruit, and our society is producing very little fruit that we could attribute to faith in Jesus. Certainly the powers in our society, the governments, the media, the storytellers, the music makers are largely godless, perhaps aside from themselves being their own gods. And that's certainly their prerogative. It's their decision to make. But in a world where God doesn't exist, is there more to the meaning of life than trying to go for a walk and reading a good book every now and then? Can there be? Many of the great philosophers agree that no! No! If there is no God, there is no meaning or purpose or even values that we normally conceive of. It's all just opinion. Sartre, Russell, Camus, even people like Richard Dawkins have acknowledged that this is the state of meaning and morality in a godless universe. Oh, sure, we can come up with our own, right? We can set ourselves little goals and decide that we're going to live a certain way but that's not meaning. In fact, the more that we insist that it is meaning, the more that we are moving into the territory of delusion, because that's what it is. Pretending that you can create meaning is acting as if untrue things are true. It's delusion. Purpose is a function of creation. Uncreated things, meaning things that weren't made on purpose, don't have purpose. Think of a hammer, right? When we, make, when we make a hammer, it's easy for us to say what its purpose is. We made it. We know what it's for. The hammer exists to pound nails, something equivalent, right? And if it's the kind with the claw on the back, which I feel like most hammers are, they're also made for pulling nails. You, you know what I'm talking about? right? But imagine that something very much like a hammer were to happen, uncaused in a forest somewhere. The forces of erosion, working on a rock, or maybe a meteor falls from space and just the right pieces burn off as it's falling. And you get something that is shaped a whole lot like a hammer. It has what looks like a handle and what looks like a head and what looks like a claw. And then let's say that this not hammer rock, was conscious and that it could think. It might perceive, hey, I'm pretty good at hitting things. I'm pretty good at digging in and pulling other stuff out. Maybe that's my purpose. But it might just as well perceive that it could be used adequately for any number of tasks. Maybe it would think that it's great at climbing walls by being used to dig in and pull yourself. Or maybe it won't even light onto one of these peripheral things that one could use a hammer for. Maybe the not-hammer rock will decide that what it likes most is running around in flowers. Who knows? This is what it is like with people. Without God, we have no purpose. We have no morals. We have no duties. We have no obligations. But we are created We are loved. We are formed by God. And as such, there is a creator who made us for a purpose. So then we ask ourselves, with God, with God in the picture, what then is our purpose? Well, I like to give short answers that you can kind of grab onto and run with. So here's my really short answer. Meaning is found in that which lasts. Meaning is found in that which lasts, right? You can enjoy something, but it's hard to have it be meaningful if it doesn't last. Unless that thing is attached to something that does last. Eating a nice meal is pleasant, certainly enjoyable. Is it meaningful? But feeding your family? Feeding your family is meaningful because it's attached to people and people last god lasts right so god and people these are the things that last now i think the answer is slightly more complicated than that i think we could we could expand on this and we will but if you want something to hold on to that's really short and tight and you can just grab onto it meaning is about that which lasts So as a bit of a, a syllabus, shall we say, for the next six weeks, we're going to look at three places that we can find meaning in life. The first place that I want to look is a document called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is a document of Christian doctrine made by a particular denomination, I believe it was Presbyterians, it's slipping my mind right now, and it's like just a couple hundred years old. It's, it's, not, it's not scripture, it's not binding, but it gives a really great answer to this question. Question one in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? Man being humanity in this case, and end meaning purpose. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And uh, they also include some scripture verses where they get those ideas from. It's on the next slide, I believe. If you wanted to quickly scribble those down, because I'm not going to read that many right now, but I do like that they include Scripture references, because this is one of those ideas like the Trinity that we don't actually find explicitly laid out in the Bible. Like, that's not a Bible verse, right? This glorify God and enjoy Him forever, that's not in the Bible, that's an idea that we pulled together from the Bible and, and put into our own phrase, which is good. But to glorify God and enjoy Him forever is a great answer, because we were made for relationship with God. That is, in fact, why God created us, to have a relationship with him. God doesn't need humans for anything. God doesn't get stronger when we pray to him. God doesn't need us for anything. God wasn't even lonely before we existed because the Trinity has eternally existed. God has always been three persons in one Godhead. He's never been alone So it wasn't even that. We exist because God wanted us, not because he needed us, but because God desired to share with us and love us and to share himself with us, and that we, in return, live our lives in such a way as to facilitate that relationship. And the second part, that we enjoy him forever. And of course, the forever aspect is super important. Some Christians have said that we are on earth to decide where we will spend eternity. And that is a crucial decision and one that I hope that you have put some thought into and shaped your life around. But I don't think it's only about forever, because if that were true, when after you accepted Jesus, we would baptize you and we would just hold you under till the bubble stopped. Right? Go, go. It's about getting to heaven, let's go. You made the decision, let's go, right? But that's not it. It's not only about forever because our end is also to enjoy God forever. Do you enjoy God? Do you take pleasure in your time with him? Is church a source of joy and peace in your life? I will admit this is a major challenge for me as a pastor because, I, like, I really struggle with enjoying church because I'm always working. Even when I'm not here, even when I'm not in this church, I'm always seeing church in terms of the systems and, like, the structure of the service and what song choices and how did he structure his sermon. And, like, I, I'm always working. And so, enjoying church is something that I have to work at, which is a weird thing to think about. But what about you? Being in God's presence doesn't need to be about work. God's presence is about joy. Listen to the words of Psalm 84. In fact, we could probably read this whole psalm, but I'm just going to read verses 1 to 2 and then skip down to 10. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Do you hear it? Do you hear the heart cry? Does your, does your chest tense up and your whole body just reach towards, please, God, I need your presence. Here's a better question. Do you wish that was true? Right? Because, because I don't. At least there are lots of times when I don't yearn for the presence of God. There are lots of times where coming to church is a chore. Can we get some agreement? Amen? Right? Like, this happens and that's life. But we want to be people who crave God's presence. So, how do we cultivate that? How do we make that the case in our lives? And I mean, that's, whew, that would be a, would be a million dollar question if I could answer that for you easily today. But my answer for you is faith. Have faith. Start speaking words of faith. Have thoughts of faith. Sing songs of faith, which we do when we come to church. But don't just say them or think them or sing them. Say them with faith. Sing with faith. Read Scripture like it's going to change your life, not like it's just something else that you have to do. Sing these songs like Jesus is right in front of you, not like you're praying for this song to please end. What's amazing to me is that when we take pleasure in God, when we find that place, we are also bringing glory to Him. So enjoy God. Glorify God. This is our chief end. But I promised you three places, and that was only one. So where else can we look? Let's look at a couple more places in the Bible, more explicitly in the Bible this time, to see what else God has to say about the meaning and purpose in life. I want to take us all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, where we read, this is immediately after God has created us. God has created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. In theology, this is referred to as the cultural mandate. Cultural mandate, which I I think that's a fun phrase. I don't know why, but I, I just enjoy it. This is God's original command to humanity. This is before sin. This is before we were separated from God. This is what it was about. And I want you to notice how deeply unspiritual this command is. There's nothing here about sacrifice. There's nothing here about prayer or praise or about wanting to dwell in the house of the Lord, right? You know what this command is? Build stuff. Create. Make stuff. Get married. Have babies and raise them. Explore. Explore. See the world. Cultivate it. Have a garden. That's what this command is. Do you know why you get such a deep feeling of satisfaction when you lay plumbing or when you solve an engineering problem or accounting problem? Do you know why it's such a great feeling of satisfaction when the house is in proper order or when the garden sprouts or when you see your children thriving? Because you were literally made for this. God made us to do stuff. God made us to live. And just living glorifies God. We bring him glory when we live well and when we live right. And this is so wild to me because it's so mundane. It really is every day. But so for our third place, let's look at the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is Jesus' final command to the disciples before he ascends into heaven. And this is what we are doing today. Whereas the cultural mandate is God's command to humans before we fell, the Great Commission is God's great plan to undo the fall. This is how we are restored to right relationship with God This is how we find meaning and purpose in our lives and help others to do the same. Because God is building his church, and we are meant to be a part of it. This isn't just something that we decided. This is a burden that has been placed on our hearts, a weight that we carry, because we can see that the world is not right, and God is the answer. I think this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, that we read earlier. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is saying that despite what we may think, despite all of our urges and all of our desires leading us in other directions, the way to find real meaning, real purpose, real fulfillment is by following him. So that's our syllabus-level answer for today. The meaning of life is to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever, create culture, have families, and be part of God's work in the world. I realize that this is a lot of ground to cover today, that we have barely scratched the surface. But think of this as a sample platter, because I hope you'll continue to join us over the next six weeks as we explore this question further as we dive deeper into the different ways that God has given us for meaning in life. Next week, Bobby's gonna be sharing with us and uh, you're not gonna wanna miss it. I'm excited about what he has to share. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are king. Thank you that you sit enthroned far above the heavens and the earth and that you rule over it all. Thank you that you have purposes. Thank you that you have thoughts and plans for us, that you haven't left us out to drift, that you haven't wound up the clock and walked away, but that you are an active and present God who has plans for each one of us and who can use each one of us as we live for you. We pray that we would. We pray that we would be your people and that we would walk in your ways. In your name we pray. Amen.